Hello and welcome to Criticism is Dead, a weekly culture podcast about what we're watching and what it all means, if it means anything at all. I'm Helen Keskin Lewis, screenwriter and producer. I'm Jenny Jijong, a culture writing critic. This week we're discussing Return to Soul and Rye Lane, two movies with a very strong sense of place. Very strong. <laughs> it's all about it, baby. Yeah. How have you been this week, Jenny? I've been good. I have finally acquired a new job. Yeah. Which is exciting. It is going to be at Slate in their culture section as a senior editor. So yes. I'll get to edit or do stuff about TV and possibly film or whatever else we consider culture nowadays, which is like almost anything. They're so lucky to have you, number one, obviously. Oh, shit. But I'm just really excited to, you know, to see your work again. Um, yeah. In all its forms, like, you just <laughs> kind of, like, sweetening up everyone's writing and then maybe doing a bit yourself. Are you going to write yourself, do you reckon? I think the agreement is that I can write when I want to write, which is Sick. the best kind of scenario because I'm... Yeah, I just like become increasingly hostile to the idea of me having to write when other people want me to, which is like the whole mm-hmm. idea of being a s- typical staff writer. So, yeah, um, yeah. yeah, I'm excited. Obviously, um, I'm happy. Uh, I have a month still to fuck about before I start officially. So yeah, I'm going to try nice. to take the time for some personal projects, some travel, some some chilling uh yeah yeah. uh what's going on with you Colin I've been all right I've just been uh you know tying up loose ends of stuff that I need to do I'm gonna start freelancing soon and that's fun I'm excited to just like also have some money roll in Mm -hmm. um so yeah that's but you know a little bit boring but we're figuring it out you know yeah for anyone asking uh the cat adoption process is still ongoing and we have not landed on someone that we like so yeah i mean that's been me but let's just get stuck into what we're here for what did you watch this week jenny this week i watched return to soul which is a film out in theaters select theaters right now this is a french german belgian co-production um takes place primarily in french and korean language it's written and directed by davy cho uh, this film premiered last May at Cannes and recently, again, came out in select theaters, so try to see if it's played nearby you. Uh, the movie stars Park Jimin as Freddie, a 25-year-old woman who was born in South Korea and then adopted by French parents and grew up in France, etc. Um, so Freddie arrives in Seoul one day by sort of like serendipity, and after some hesitation, returns to the adoption agency that handled her case to try to track down her biological parents. And so the film follows Freddie at four different points in her life as she goes from this first time she's in Seoul to living in Seoul to returning again to Seoul to her in a final scene traveling somewhere else. So, Pellen, where... And when did you first watch this film? And what are just like your initial thoughts, broad view thoughts on it? Yeah, I saw this film, I'm going to say a few weeks ago, but what is time? It could have been a month. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. I <laughs> saw this, I think, at BAM. Mm. And yeah, my takeaway is that I really, really love this film. And it's been a while since I've seen something this good. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, I have my 
you know little critiques about it which we'll get into a little bit later but yeah i came away with this like honestly i, I kind of didn't know what to expect uh especially considering the premise and yeah i left feeling well fed i guess <laughs> I'll, I'll just say that yeah. yeah how about you that's a good way to put it yeah i really didn't go into this um knowing what to expect i hadn't really read the exact you know, summary or spoilers, which I often do to myself. Like, I spoil a movie for myself before I see it. Um, it's so funny that you do that all the time. I know, it's a weird... Me <laughs> I mean, it's it's messed up, truly, but here we are. <laughs> um, so what I've, I found interesting about this film, I think, is that it takes a pretty familiar idea, which is uh, in a, an adoptee story, more or less. An adoptee returning to her country of origin to try to find her birth parents. Um, that's an idea that has been explored in a lot of like books and, and stories and news articles and some film and TV. Like it, it's almost a genre in and of itself. So it takes that kind of familiar premise and it fleshes out in a way that I think is probably a lot closer to the truth of what this experience can really yes. be like, which is, often uncomfortable, often tense, um, like jagged edges. It's not such a smooth ride or such a, a thing of, of beauty and like discovery and, yeah. and warmth all the time, which is what some of the more sentimental pieces of, of media, like in this genre, they, they tend to skew towards. I think it's also so deeply rooted in who this person is like who freddie is and and how she would experience that mm -hmm. um and how that kind of drives the plot forward you know it isn't so much about what we would expect for this story to go what were your initial thoughts about freddie herself like as we get to see her react to certain situations what was going through your mind? Like, did you like her? Yeah. Was there anything that put you off of her or anything like that? I mean, Freddie is a really interesting character, I thought. Um, she's extremely sort of three-dimensional. You can see these different sides of her, these different facets of her personality. Like, she can be bold and very charismatic in the life of the party, but she can also be really kind of sullen and destructive and, and at times uncaring or purposefully um, uncaring. It mm -hmm. is not an entirely sympathetic picture of her, by which it, I mean it doesn't sort of create this idealized image of her. It shows her in all of yeah. her flaws and all, which is, I thought, I mean, it was a, it was a great choice. I think Park Jimin really embodies that is like so totally yeah. fully, and yeah, I mean, there are times definitely where, especially where you can see how how she's behaving towards people in her orbit, people who care about her, where you're like, oh, that's asshole behavior. But you can also kind mm -hmm. of understand psychologically where she's coming from and why she does that, why she does these deliberate things to push people away or to like cut and to burn and um, how this is all wrapped up in her whole deal, which is a deal that's been informed by obviously her whole life um, and, and, you know, just naturally who she is. I mean, the thing that I loved was how this film grappled between what is expected of of these situations that she's put in, as in, like, decorum-wise. Yes. Um, what is polite, what is respectful to do, what you should and shouldn't say. And it's the way that Freddie just kind of doesn't care about 
an awkward situation. Like she will tell someone how she feels or what she thinks that they should do despite it being super disrespectful or despite it being awkward she doesn't seem to care and there's a really great device i thought with the translation because obviously freddie growing up in france doesn't speak a lick of korean <laughs> like she hasn't tried to learn it it's fine like whatever but obviously this becomes a a, a bit of a problem for her when she's trying to communicate in korea um, and trying to find out things like a, a lot of the agencies she goes to they do speak french but like spoiler alert once she comes across one part of her family um you realize uh the real boundary and like her, for her to try and communicate and then she has a friend that's like translating for oh, her that was really great yeah yeah what her friend actually says uh to her family is so it's funny but it's not at the same time um yeah. like i laughed a lot the, my, the, my, i don't know how it was for your screening but like people in my screen were cracking up um <laughs> yeah. because we understand we all understand what's going on it was just like i found it fascinating because it's just like oh she doesn't give a shit dude like she's here but she's here for herself yeah she, like, she's not like here to like make them feel comfortable yeah the way yeah. she speaks can be very uh, abrupt very like brutally honest and not courteous which is you know not quite part of the decorum like you said especially in when you're meeting people for the first time and you know a lot of society in like south korea and like other countries like that it, it's very much um there's a sort of courtesy that you do have to hew to especially like as you know you're your family members your older family members um mm. And she is, like, completely barreling past that. And her friend, who is South Korean, who she met in Seoul, yeah, the way she translates is so good because you recognize it also immediately. Um, she's, like, adding, like, ten layers of politeness and softening the edges of everything that Freddie yes. is saying. And, and I thought that was a yes. really cool device, um, too. And I I really like that character, too, uh, of Tenna and how yeah. they use her to present, like, a view of, not just like, you know, what are kind of more the norms of courtesy and politeness here, but also like mm -hmm. as a person who honestly helped Freddie a lot and yeah. was kind of yeah. treated with a bit of, you know, not not the best by Freddie at the end when Freddie is lashing out at, at a certain point and spiraling out. Mm -hmm. Like she has yeah. that very singular line that kind of explicitly gets at everything that we mm -hmm. probably may feel about freddie at that point too which is like you're a very sad person and it's yeah. uh really hurtful but also like really true in a sense after yes. freddie has done all this damage to, to these people in her orbit and also but that's like a part of how she is living and letting go of her own damage at the same time yeah 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 I'm and the friend serves as serves as like a a, a touch point for us mm -hmm. uh, to empathize with Freddie. I empathize with her anyway because mm -hmm. I'm always going to empathize with a deeply troubled, angry female protagonist like forever. But I know that for a lot of people in the audience they might be like what the fuck is her problem? And then you've got this character who is there just to be a support system for her and someone that really kind of like sees past her manic pixie antics. Um to see what's actually troubling her yeah um, and, and tries to help yeah her, so, and yeah. i think like like obviously identity it always brings up all sort of complex feelings that is even more true for a lot of adoptees i think like mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. adoption i think it, it is very often seen as this act of altruism and it it maybe mm -hmm. it, it is in in some ways for the people who are 
you know, adopting and, and taking in and, and things like that. But the reality of it, I think that is often glossed over is that it can be very painful and traumatizing, even, you know, if you're an adoptee who, who really does love your adoptive parents and you're mostly fine with how your life turned out. Um, but it, it is like, especially the way that, you know, it has been transformed into an industry and like this kind of like mm-hmm. line of here's this like constant stream or supply of, of babies from another country. Like there is something yeah. that's very often because of like war that maybe like the U S hel- like helps bring yeah. about or something like that there's something very violent about a lot of it. And I mean, yeah. I grew up at a university of Michigan where I went to undergrad. There was like a pretty decent sized community of, more or less transnational adoptees. And it was very mm. interesting. I was like friends with some of the, to, yeah, just kind of hear their side and be like, like why truly like, what does this mean to them and what are they really looking for? And it was yeah. a lot more, I think that there was just a lot, like a really keen sense of longing and yearning and thinking about like, well, what is on the other side of the world? Like who left me to yeah. find behind who, you know, what did I leave behind? So I thought yeah. it was like a really good way to get at that sort of darker side or that less like, you know, rosy and like, you know, painted over side that again is so prevalent in a lot of the, the more sentimental examples of this media. Um, yeah. What I also liked about this movie, I think is how it's very self-assured. Like it mm, doesn't, yeah, yeah, it doesn't fall into this trap of, making the implicit like having to make that so explicit like we don't need freddie to have this like monologue about all of her complicated feelings and angst about you know her her adoption in this country you know we we get that from every single scene from what what's left unsaid from um the way this character is and reacts and and how park jimin performs her all of these different parts where, you know, a weaker or not necessarily weaker, but a less self-assured film, they might have stopped and been like, okay, I need to provide some, some exposition or I need to make the character talk to some other character and have them like yeah. spell out what's going on and what this means. This one doesn't most of the time. And I think that was such a strong choice. Oh my God. No, completely. And it made me want to see everything else that this man has directed because I was like, mm. oh, he doesn't. Like, the way that it's edited, the way that it's written, and the way that he has, like, leaned on uh, Park Jimin. I think they were very collaborative, from what I've understood yeah. in the interviews and I stuff. I think she but, definitely yeah. shaped the character. And, and there was, like, I, uh, from interviews, like, a little bit of a, a struggle at times. So one that ultimately, mm-hmm. like, both of them say, like, improve the product. Yeah, and Park Jimin is an, a, an artist herself. I think she uses like several different um mediums but visual um artist so like for her it was i think having her own creative agency was very important but it is definitely for the better the theme of abandonment was so abundantly clear to me in terms of like how it was affecting freddie and it was never mentioned she never said anything about it Mm-hmm. It was just how she responded to all the situations in the world, like her sullenness, the way that she just really didn't react the way that everybody wanted her to react yeah. um, as like a form of protest. It was beautiful. And like from that, it's because like she's like, fuck you guys. Like the way I read it was like, fuck all of you. You left me to fend for myself. 
like everybody, both like, <laughs> you know, her parents that raised her and also the parents that left her. But there's still such a deep rooted sense of sadness throughout it. Um, yeah, all of this was abundant. Yeah, made very, very abundantly clear to me just through the filmmaking. Um, not so much through the overt sense of dialogue, right? Yeah. Writing that we, that we usually see. Yeah. I, I love, I love this film so much with that technique. Yeah. For sure. What did you think about, you know, the way this film takes place over several years? I really liked it. And when it first happened, it took me aback because. I'm going to say most of the film spends its time when she first arrives and then tries to find them. Yeah. And, you know, some of the scenes really stuck with me. Um, There's this one particular scene where she's sleeping over at her family's house and her grandmother is like stroking her hair and crying. And she is deeply uncomfortable by all of this projection that is being placed upon her. And, like, you could easily just stay in that world, you know? You could easily, like, have her either... Like, the film could have ended there, it could have been a short film, whatever, or she could have gone back to France. But then that initial time jump where you find out that she stayed makes a lot of sense to me. Mm -hmm. It really does. Because I think, as someone that, you know, obviously I'm not a Canadian born and raised, but, like, when I was like, I'm going to go live in Toronto for two years, a lot of that was about reinvention. Mm -hmm. A lot of that was about, like, who am I in this different circumstance in this different place how can i be a different person Mm -hmm. how how do i have agency about like who i especially in your 20s you're like i need to start afresh that made so much sense to me as just a woman in her 20s um it feels very accurate and i also loved the change in tone yeah Um, like filmmaking tone like just the way that it looked was gorgeous seriously yeah and she looked amazing too like obviously that look was incredible um what did you think of it how did you feel about the time jumps yeah i think i was also i think taken aback when we see the first time jump occur um because like you said that that sort of difference that shift is is a little jarring it's it's new it's like a new world almost um i do agree make makes sense the character this is kind of like her reinvention and also a a fuck you right again to like i'm here in korea but still i'm not here for the reasons that you think or i'm not here to you know form a big happy family um with the people who gave me up once like this is her her own life and yeah Yeah. i agree visually it looks killer i think in an interview i said uh they said they'd wanted to sort of model her new look after like mad max style Mm. Yeah. You know, aesthetics. And I think it really worked. It also was very much like a little bit like Ghost in the Shell or like techno orientalism, like that kind of vibe. Yeah. Yeah. It was just very, but also paired with like, you know, almost like Berlin nightclub, like thumping music kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, It was really cool. Um, And I quickly want to say that I think there's something unspoken here which is the currency that you have as a person from a certain country raised in the west going back it's not often talked about but it exists where like for example when i go back to turkey and people find out that i grew up in london and i'm now living in new york they think it's the coolest fucking shit it's like so cosmopolitan (laughs) yeah yeah and like and then that just increases your currency like your social currency and you can see this has happened for her too where she's like the cool french girl that's kind of crazy and like you know she's cool and like her boyfriend is fucking gorgeous Mm. and like all her friends are beautiful and they're so cool as well and they're like really edgy and you can tell that she is just like 
a much cooler person in Seoul than she is in like France, probably, you know. So that was um also pretty clever as well. Yeah. Yeah. I I really liked the the decision they made at the very end to have this is a small spoiler alert again if you haven't watched this film yet, mm-hmm. but to have the email bounce back. Mm. I I wasn't sure about the setting at first, um, but I yeah. I thought that that quiet act and the email bouncing back and everything that that indicates that that implies, which again they don't they don't like belabor themselves and like have to make it explicit, like being like. Yeah. Oh shit, like this means XYZ, connect the dots. It's just all there. They yeah. trust you enough to figure it out. But I like yeah. what that like it's a quiet moment of devastation, but also she is yeah. at this point older and mature enough and she yeah. is, you know, grown to where her her life can go on. Like it doesn't ruin her. Yeah. I um I also really liked how when we see her when she's at her like I don't know, professional career high like pre like previous to this bounce back uh time jump where she's having dinner with her dad um with her like white boy white french boyfriend <laughs> um this understanding that no matter what she does she's not going to be the perfect daughter like that realization towards the end of that dinner where she sees that there's just like she's you know become way more professional way kinder than she was previously um, and everyone seems to be doing better and growing and whatever, but like, it still doesn't feel right to her. And then, yeah, like, to then skip forward for that last time jump, um, and then to have her be solitary and then to, for her to like receive that, uh, bounce back by herself and then to just kind of move on from it. It's funny. I think you can read it both ways. I think you can be like, yeah, she seems like she's self-reliant now and she can accept it and she's grown and she's like, emotionally more mature now to deal with this and handle this and yeah i agree i think that you can definitely read that but there's also another part of me that was like has she just accepted that she's however she has felt her whole life which is alone and abandoned that this is just who she is she's always going to be alone and abandoned and that's why the bounce back didn't surprise her because she now believes that Mm. to be true so it goes both ways and i really like that and I, i really like how that left me as a viewer because that's kind of how life is. Sometimes it's both, you know? Yeah, like, yeah, you become more emotionally mature, but maybe it's because you've calcified the negative things that you've told yourself over, I don't know, your 20s and haven't really worked to kind of unlearn them. Mm-hmm. And that's life too, you know? That's just, <laughs> that's, that can happen as well. Um, yeah, yeah I, I love, I love this film so much. Like, I think it's really, really beautiful. That said, like, I think for all the film, you know, that it impressed me in several ways. I don't know what it is about it. I think maybe I had a slightly different emotional reaction than you. There there was... Mm. I can't exactly figure it out. Um, but there is something about this movie that didn't quite get to me or move me on a, a really core level. Mm. I I don't know quite what that is because on, on paper, this is a movie that I think... I, you know, I read about it, I saw about it, and I was like, oh, shit, that's gonna be up my alley, like, extremely. Mm-hmm. But I have to say, like, maybe my not having such a core, like, emotional reaction, maybe that is just because of the kind of movie that it is, and the way that it approached mm-hmm. this topic, and this story, and this character, which is that 
it's the film, the story, and the character, they are prickly. They're a little bit pokey. They resist mm-hmm. this sort of, like, easy sentiment that, again, like, can be so uh, simple to fall back on for this yeah. kind of narrative. So maybe yeah. because it is that kind of thing, and I, I don't know. There was something about that about it that I felt like I was one or two breaths away from just like being totally enraptured and sinking into it fully, like a little bit of a remove at times, um, which right. again, maybe that was deliberate, like just by design, but I don't know. Yeah, is this yeah. making any sense? It is. And I was going to ask you this question cause, well, after I, I knew that you were going to watch it. How did you feel about the choice to not show the mother's face? Oh, I mean, I think that was a, a great choice. I think... Yeah especially in the context of how hard it's been to reach her, the reluctance yeah. that obviously she has felt, and then everything that goes unspoken and what happens yeah. afterward, you know, the relationship with the mother. I think, it, yeah, I think it makes sense totally. Yeah. Part of the reason why I wanted to ask is because I think if there was any any part of it that was like, you know, we've spent this entire film looking for her essentially (laughs) like the pursuit of her has been something that is like obviously freddie is obsessed over understandably and then like when we finally get it i think it does feel cathartic but i don't know if maybe that might have contributed to why it might have left you a little bit cold not that you know we needed a whole fucking conversation um between them or anything um i love this choice as well but i think there's something that feels very elemental in the way that we are just focused on Freddie um, and like her life and her feelings and how she perceives everybody around her. And I, I liked how it did that, but it does kind of leave you cold. I think there is, I think that's the part of it is like the singularity of it and the way that her relationships feel so disposable to her throughout the film. Um, I think that's the part that it might leave us a little bit like wanting for more. But you're right. I think, I think this was probably intentional. And yeah, like the way that we feel about this is something that we need to sit through and <laughs> and figure out as yeah. to why. why like figure out why yeah. do we need to see you know this relationship or this emotion enacted in this way yeah. on on screen for us yeah. to feel more yeah you know emotionally connected. Right, what did you watch this week, Palin? So my pick this week is Rye Lane. You can watch this on Hulu. Um, this film premiered at Sundance this year, and it is a London rom-com that was written by Nathan Bryan and Tom Malia and was directed by Rain Allen Miller in her feature debut. So this film tells a story of Dom and Yes. They are played by David Johnson, who you will know from industry, and Vivian Opara. Dom and Yas meet each other at a shared friend's art show in a toilet cubicle, randomly, and start a friendship by, you know, walking through Peckham's Rye Lane. Peckham is a part of London. Um, it's in South London. Uh, Rye Lane Market is very, very famous for South London, anyway. Um, so through this walk, Yaz finds out that Dom is still hurt over his six-year relationship ending due to his ex's infidelity. And Dom finds out that Yaz's relationship ended because she wasn't appreciated for who she is and she ends it. So she she's the person that ended and he's the person that got ended upon. So Dom's meek nature is kind of balanced out with Yaz's confidence and they kind of both have something that the other could learn from, like any good 
uh, rom-com setup. Um, Dom could do with a little bit of spontaneity and Yaz could do with a little bit of steadfastness. And they both recognize fairly quickly uh, in each other um, and they end up spending the entire day and night together. Um, so there's a lot of hijinks, a lot of things occur. Um, how did you feel about this film, Jenny? I I think I was drawn in by the sense of place as, you know, this is a Obviously, it's named after Rylane. Um, I was drawn in by that sense of place. I was drawn in by, I think, the beginnings of, like, some of the, you know, visuals, like, the, the different techniques they used. Um, I think, ultimately, it was a fine rom-com. It basically kept to the formula, kind of, which is yeah. not necessarily bad. Like, rom-com formula... You know, they're, they're formulas for a reason. They tend to work. I think it was a little bit left underwhelmed by where it went eventually. Mm. I think there, I do have the sense, like, if I'm going to watch a rom-com nowadays, I wanted to either do the formula very, very well, just like excel at it, or to, for there to be some kind of subversion along the way, or just something yeah. that to make it, you know, stand out a little bit more from the crowd. And I don't yeah. quite know if this got to that level for me, but yeah. you know, it's a it's a cute film. Yeah, it is. It is a cute film. It's a cute time. I, you know, clearly the inspiration for this is Before Sunrise, um, one of the most classic uh, romantic films. I wouldn't say it's so much of a comedy, but it's a film about romance. It's a trilogy about romance. Perfect, perfect film. Um, there's a lot of walking and talking in Rye Lane as well, which is mm-hmm. hence the inspiration. However, in this film. Uh, there are pit stops and distractions and side quests. So like Dom meets with his ex. It's his first meeting since they broke up. And like Yaz has a whole mission to get her record back from her ex and more. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously like, I think the thing that I agree with you, I think it does follow a very traditional formula. The only thing that really sets it apart is the fact that it is set in South London. Mm-hmm. Um, last time this happened was Notting Hill. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's not so much South, but. You know, I, I love any kind of ode to London anyway, yeah. as, um, you know, as a north of the river girl myself, uh, I'm not very well versed in Peckham or Brixton. It's on like the other end of the Victoria line. Well, Brixton is on the other end of the Victoria line to me. Um, but as any confident and self-assured Eastender would say, I respect my brethren from across the way. And I love that this one was such a beautiful, I guess, love letter, uh, mm-hmm. to that, to that end, to that part of the end. Um, how did you feel about like the area? Do you, do we like this? Seems nice. I would like to go there. Yeah, I mean, I do think its its strength is really in how much it leans into the environment, the setting. Um, mm-hmm. Clearly, there is a lot of either familiarity or love for this place. I think in the creation behind it, um, it really yeah. makes it look quite like ugh, God. I hate the phrase "lived in" now because it's really overused. But it's very it's it's lived in. It's the hustle and bustle. It just feels really comforting almost in the way that they approach it. And then obviously like the characters here, they're like, Oh yeah, I walk, I walk around here every day. Like, so that's part of it. So yeah, yeah. I'm totally a fan of the way that they use that place. Yeah. So it turns out it wasn't originally written and the title wasn't Rylane. Oh, it really? was just, I think it was called like Vibes and Tings or something like that. Oh, um, by right. the two writers. And then when, when the director came on, I think she's from South London and mm-hmm. she basically reworked the script with them to have the focus be, um, like a love letter to self. Oh. Um, which I think is really sweet. Yeah. Like I, I think it, it's for the better. Yeah. Um, 
certainly. I I, want to just get into it with the thing that obviously preoccupies so many rom-com fans is the two leads, like our two romantic leads. How did you feel about them? What did you think? Because essentially they make or break a film. So do you reckon they made it or broke it? Like, what do you think? Well, I was so excited to see our boy, David, because, yeah, yeah, he, I mean, industry heads. Yeah, of course, we all know and love him. I don't know. I could see, I mean, the chemistry I felt between these two, Yaz and Dom, is more like, oh, wow, they could be really great friends. Yeah. (laughs) Which is, maybe that's kind of like insulting for me to say that. Um, But that's that's kind of what I came away with. So I don't know if it was really working on a, you know, purely romantic or chemistry level for me yeah same i think they clearly get along that that much is true this might sound a bit rude for me to say (laughs) but i think i think david johnson you know he he works in industry because you know he's a private school boy grew up like very comfortably middle class and you can hear it in his voice and it's not to say that this character in this film isn't that like we don't know his financial background but i don't know there was just part of me that wanted someone a little bit more a little bit more working class uh, especially like with the lines of dialogue anyway that's just that's just my like very tiny london nitpick mm-hmm. um but other than that i think i agree with you i think they are definitely more friends i really love vivian opara it's the first time i'm watching her in, mm-hmm. in anything and mm-hmm. i think she was the stronger out of the two of them mm-hmm. um not to say that david wasn't great um it's just i read her more like a female romantic lead more than i read him as a male uh romantically yeah i i think there was just a little bit of a mismatch um his energy was not quite it was like a great effort his energy was not quite like up at the same level where yeah they could you know be really vibing here yeah and like speaking of notting hill i could see that he was trying to channel like hugh grant in his Mm. like awkwardness and like bookishness and the way that he's just like happy being an accountant um like i love that like little if there was a nod there i saw it but i don't know maybe maybe the problem is us jenny maybe we (laughs) uh maybe we need to understand that sometimes there can be love like this where two people look more like best friends uh, than they do um yeah maybe oh, yeah maybe, maybe we gotta we have to question our just like our ideals yeah like we need to reformulate love. our idea of like what romance looks like between two people <laughs> sure. um anyway yeah actually um, we're the problematic ones so yes 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 100 <laughs> percent um was there any kind of sequence or scene that you like the most because there are many like different different parts of this that kind of are cobbled together to make a visual language I like, again, how the, the sense of place and people, we find that, uh, especially keenly, I think, in the scene where they are visiting Yaz's ex-boyfriend's mom's house and there's, like, a yeah. cookout and, you know, there yeah. are all these people who are, like, eyeing um, Dom up and down and, like, who the fuck are you? And, like, just chilling yeah. and listening to music and eating. I really I really like that uh yeah you know what happens there and just the overall feeling and how that gets a little bit more into like people through their taste and their music and yeah and, and how they behave in, in and i will say 
just as a Londoner, like very accurate. Yeah. Like most on a spring sunny day, you're probably in someone's garden having a knees up with some barbecue and some drinks and music, and it ends up being a really really great like house party later on in the night. Mm-hmm. Just a perfect London day to night activity. So I love that as well so much. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I do have some critiques. Um, yeah, totally. I'm just I'm. I'm just going to get into the main one. I don't want to nitpick too hard. The thing that bothered me the most as just like an overarching thing is the way that this film is shot, Mm. which is tough because I think it's also part, like, I think a lot of people like the way that it's shot um, and like the the kind of creative decision making there. I totally understand the need to make it feel, you know, vibrant, dreamlike, um, you know, to show how London on a sunny spring day is the best city in the world, because it is. I understand how it's colourful to communicate a joyful story and all of that, um, and like full of hopefulness. As like, you know, that's usually the sign of a successful rom-com, is if it makes you forget about <laughs> the real world problems of love and like makes you kind of see this fantasy, essentially. I get all of that. But this film felt like a commercial and that is mm, no ouch. disrespect to the DP, um, Olin Kaladi. I, if I'm saying your name wrong, I apologize. Um, I just think that the use of that anamorphic lens, which is like how you get that kind of feeling, that really vibrant feeling. And in the background, there's like, um, like it feels like the lights are a little bit fuzzy. I think they call that bokeh. Like it's just, it, I get all of it. I, I get the use of it, but so many commercials use the anamorphic lens like this. And that's why it reads the way that it does. Um, again, I totally understand the use of it. It's to, you know, make the frame feel wider. It's to kind of fit more of the market into it. Um, and like have that feeling of like hustle and bustle and all of that. I get it. I just totally get it. It just read very bubblegum in a way that it took away from the authenticity to me. Like I did not grow up in near Riley market, but I grew up on Walthamstow market. Very similar. There's a lot of hustle and bustle. There's a lot of different ethnicities and beautiful, like just everything's all very vibrant. There's a way to do that without it feeling so polished, which I really, really didn't like. I think it kind of made it feel less real. Um, you know, I think a good al- alternative might be, um, I was thinking this when I was watching this because initially I was like, mm-hmm. oh, cool. This, this, you know, visually it looks pretty cool, but a way to maybe achieve a similar kind of standout visual language that is vibrant um, without sort of leaning a little bit too commercial um, chewing gum like that yeah. series. Exactly. Um, of course, yeah. Michaela Cole, that was like her, her calling card before I made to story you that that's yeah. what it reminded me of a lot, but they're like, it was used more effectively because mm-hmm. it's not mm-hmm. just these sort of tricks and, and shots for the, for the hell of it. It was also portraying something about, it was saying something about like the the main character's state of mind and just like yeah, the worldview and yeah, yeah worldview yeah, slightly yeah, surreal yeah. absurdist um, reality she lives in yeah and and here you don't really get that as much it is kind of more like just just cause you know you know it yeah. adds to the to the vibes or something which is yeah. fine that can be fine but I can I can see where your feelings on it might you know, where they might stem from and why yeah. that was not I, as successful for you. And this has this isn't the first time it's happened. Like I felt this way for Miss Marvel as well. If you have if you mm. guys ever watched Miss Marvel where it was just like, I get it. Other than that, this film is a truly pleasant time. It's very charming. It's funny. Like, especially if you 
are from London and you kind of see the type of people that you've probably met before once in your life. Um, I had a great time overall. Uh, it's just like, you know, it could have been a little bit better. That's all. This week in Culture Notes, uh, we want to talk a little bit about the trial of the century, if you believe what yes. everyone is saying. Uh, this is, of course, Gwyneth Paltrow's trial. Basically, this skier, when she was skiing on the slopes in 2016, the skier, this guy, he alleged that she, like, crashed into him. She, like, barreled into him, basically ran him over with her skis and um, left him in complete physical ruin after that. So he wanted to sue her allegedly. for... Yeah. Allegedly. Allegedly. So he sued her for 300000 She could have, you know, just settled with him because she has a lot of money, obviously. But, yeah. you know, Gwyneth Paltrow wanted to make a point. She was like, I did not do this. Um, I absolutely yeah. did not do this. And so, you know, they went to trial. And she really won over a lot of people, I think. Like, the whole thing was so funny because it was kind of, like, a farce of a trial. Like, everyone is so weird involved in this. The guy is weird. The guy's lawyers are weird. Like, Gwyneth actually comes off very well in comparison to these people who are so Which tells you all you need to know. That tells you all you need to know. Truly. Like, just a few weeks ago, she was... I think in trouble again for some goopy thing she said. And now, you know, people are calling her mother all over again. Um, she ended up winning too, actually. She won. She got her symbolic $1 that she wanted, um, in return. And as she walked out of this trial after it ended, it was also like a very iconic, widely shared moment. She like leaned over to this guy who had basically just lost, um, and appeared to say the words like, like, I, I wish you well, or I wish the yeah. best for you, or something like Which that. Which I think was confirmed, yeah, yeah, by him, yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's just wild. It's, I think it's, it captured a lot of people's attention in a way that, honestly, it's, it's dark to compare it to like the Amber Heard Johnny Depp trial, but that was the last celebrity trial that really got people's attention in this way, and that was obviously horrible. But this is just like, a similar magnitude of fame but for completely different reasons and it's also like from it feels like it harkens back to a for a time when from a time when very famous women were going to trial for things you know like naomi campbell uh with her trial and there was like a whole fashion show behind that and i think someone (laughs) did like a fashion spread about it and obviously like Lindsay lohan with like the multiple trials that she was in like all of these, like, we, we all remember this time when the girls were getting in trouble. However, like, this is a distinctly Gwyneth thing, um, <laughs> just because she, she has been, you know, made fun of for being extremely white for her antics, you know, whether it's like the goop stuff or just, you know, the fact that this is like a skiing thing and someone's <laughs> yeah. being skewed for being skied, uh, skied into all of it and it just it just feels like perfectly ridiculous just the way that she is like so ridiculous and who she is as well you know the way that yeah. she thinks that she's she's the reason why everybody's doing yoga and like all 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 this other like ridiculous stuff that she's said in the past um yeah it's funny i i enjoyed this and i you know going off of what we talked about last week with uh with sofia coppola's daughter romy this seems like perfectly silly fun 
like this is you don't take it too seriously and i just love that this is happening especially because there's like a whole other trial that happened as and settled this week this is obviously my more preferred uh fun fun version of that so yeah yeah and i think i guess it must not be funny for this guy who kind of brought it upon himself i have to say sorry to blame um but yeah he 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 tried to go for it um now yeah. he says, I think he, that he regrets it. He's like, you know, I'm, I'm going to be on the internet forever. And like, I'm, yeah, it's going to make my dating life so hard. And I'm like, I'm yeah. a laughing stock. I'm sorry, dude. Well, like yeah. you tried to come for someone who may not have the public sympathy most of the time. But in this case, um, she definitely did. And yeah. I'm, I'm sorry that the attempted alleged cash grab didn't work out for you. Um, yeah. It's just so funny that this is the thing that kind of reversed, momentarily reversed people's opinion of Gwyneth. Um, yeah. From just like, ugh, her again to complete, like, ironic, but also not ironic, like, almost standing, um, in a yeah. sense, for some parts of the fandom. Yeah. Well, I mean, you take a Libra, like a rich Libra, <laughs> to court. <laughs> this is what you get. I, I love that she said something to him on the way out. It's so classic. Um I think her just nonchalance as well throughout mm-hmm. the trial has been really great. If you had to go to court for anything, like uh-huh. what's the pettiest thing that you would go to court for? Like I that I would sue this. someone for or that I would like yeah. defend myself against? Defend yourself for, defend yourself for. Like if you had to be Gwyneth, who who would that be? I guess the most natural thing would probably be if someone were to sue me for something I wrote, which is very much like a media That'd problem. Um, yeah. A la gawker or <laughs> everything yeah yeah um in all <laughs> yeah. likelihood that is probably the thing that would people would get me for um yeah <laughs> what yeah. about you probably my downstairs neighbors um they would sue me for hoovering too much <laughs> <laughs> i just deserve their peace too much you know I'm, I'm just like constantly at it with the fucking dice when mate. like what is <laughs> what is out of the norm from the way you hoovers at the time just like the the no, no, it's the, it's the frequency, man. Just the frequency. Uh, like I I I pull that shit out every night, like every day. Like it's not usually night. I never do it past like nine. But yeah. um, yeah, I'm I'm one of those people that really hates things because I have hardwood floors, like the, in the yeah. apartment that I'm renting. So like for me, it's like my hair falls out a lot. I have a cat. Like I need oh, I need yeah. that shit gone. You know. So that's probably it. They'd probably just be like, they'd plead like insanity because I drove them crazy. With, <laughs> they could with say you my... inflicted emotional damage. Um, I did, yeah. It's yeah, true. Yeah. <laughs> so that's it from us this week. Um, if you are watching anything that you think we should check out, please let us know at criticism is dead at gmail.com or at us or DM us at criticism is dead all one word, on Twitter and Instagram. For extended show notes and links to everything that we've been talking about and more, please subscribe to our newsletter, criticismisdead.substack.com. As always, thank you so much for listening. Please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts with that sweet five stars, honey. Thank you. And uh, yeah, tell a friend about us. We will see you next week. Bye. Criticism is Dead is produced by Pelin Keskin-Lou and Jenny Chishan. Our music is by Rika. Our artwork and design are by Sarah Macias and Andrew Luke.